The COVID-19 pandemic has brought significant disruption to many industries, but it could be argued, and I would argue, that it's been most significant for restaurants. My name is Mike Von Massow, and this is the Food Focus Podcast. This episode is the first part of my conversation with Bruce McAdams, my friend and colleague, on restaurants emerging from the complete COVID shutdowns. We cover the short-term changes and adaptations we can expect as we venture out of lockdown and back into restaurants. Bruce knows restaurants and provides interesting insights. To see more, check him out on Twitter at RovingProfessor or on his blog at UGRSP.com, the University of Guelph Sustainable Restaurant Project. Thanks for tuning in. If you enjoy it, give us a rating. And now let's go to my conversation with Bruce. Well, hello, Bruce, and thanks for taking the time. Mike, always a pleasure talking restaurants with you, sir. I'm glad, and I always enjoy it, too. I think we've had several of these conversations, and uh, I thought, well, probably a great opportunity to record it and share it more broadly. So, unfortunately, we can't be face-to-face, but that's the reality of the current world. So, let's get straight to it. Restaurants are are, are starting in Ontario uh, to get permission to open with with some restrictions. We're seeing other jurisdictions open a little bit more. How is our restaurant experience going to change as we come out of some of these extreme lockdown conditions? You know, restaurants, if, if we divided them into two large groups, we'd have the quick service Um being the McDonald's and Tim Hortons of the world. And, and we know those have uh, been focusing on drive-through. And, and when they go back to allowing people into their premises, it won't be a, a huge change. The one uh, sector is, is that's really going to feel the impact and change the most is the full service. So that's the, the dining in where you have a server um, and uh, you're sitting at a table and and ordering from a menu, etc. So that's that's the one that is uh, going to change dramatically. There's two sides to this, Mike. There's the consumer side, and I think that's what you're asking me right now. And that is going to be changed probably most by the social distancing aspects and the 50% caps that most uh, jurisdictions are putting as far as their their seating. So there's going to be less people in restaurants. Uh, reservations are being requested for many restaurants and suggested in, in many jurisdictions. And then some that opened early in the States were were mandatory that, that you had to take reservations. There's going to be the process of perhaps having your temperature uh, checked in some jurisdictions, wearing a mask inside once you're in and at your table, being allowed to take it off, hand sanitizer, being given to guests um, when they're uh, sat down. So, you know, we can almost look at the grocery experience, which all of us have sort of lived through and and see some of those things happening in in restaurants. The big difference for restaurants is the value position is always, from the consumer point of view, made up of three components. It's made up of the food, it's made up of the service, and it's made up of the atmosphere. Now, the food uh, won't change. The service will definitely change. Um, Some operators are telling me it will take a little longer for you to be served because of uh, procedures. And then the atmosphere is going to be the the one that really changes. I I think uh, having dined with you many times that there's nothing like going into a busy restaurant that is packed with energy and and waiters are are buzzing around your table and, and things being 
put down and taken away. That experience is going to be gone for the foreseeable future until these restrictions are lifted. So that, that to me, is the biggest change in our, our dining experience. Yeah, it strikes me that that you know we've seen these these pictures from Holland where people are dining in greenhouses or whatever these pods. It strikes me that that's not going to work everywhere. It may work if you're on a beautiful harbor at sunset, but you know being in a pod within a restaurant is going to dramatically change that experience. And so it's not just sort of tolerating as you said, maybe things taking a bit longer or or a change, that atmosphere might might be a significant impact on the restaurant experience and our willingness to go back to restaurants. And that's my fear. It's interesting that you you bring that up so early in the uh, in the pod because um, you know consider yourself going for a night out. You know we go to restaurants to dine to these full service restaurants many occasions to to celebrate to get away from our daily routine you know, to escape the bad news of the day. And and all of a sudden we're being served with someone wearing a mask and, and rightfully so given the public health concerns and, and the restaurant is only a third full and the server can't really talk. A lot of the, the feedback I've been getting from British Columbia and from uh, friends in Greece that are, are operating restaurants right now is the amount of communication with face shields or masks is is definitely... Uh, diminishing and and even speaking uh, for some research I'm doing to operators, there's a maybe a hesitancy of standing uh, at a table or or being too close to people. So there seems to be a you know get the food, put it down, and get out of there as quick as you can without even you know looking people in the eye or communicating. So so that whole experience is is going to change. And and if you're paying full prices. You know, and, and even if there are price increases, which there's, you know, some people putting forth um, in the industry that uh, the industry should take some price at this point, then maybe you're not going to go back. Maybe, um, you know, OK, we went out. It was uh, it was different. It wasn't a, a typical restaurant experience. So we're not going to rush back to, um, you know, next week to do the same. So that that is a big worry. I concur. And I think you raised a couple of issues that I'm going to come back to in a second. The first being price. And the second being some of that closeness and the requirements and how we address that. But I want to shift now and, and ask a little bit about from the operator side, what's changing within restaurants that we will see or we may not see that, that is changing fundamentally how, how they execute getting you food and driving the experience? You know, speaking to the back of house first or the kitchen, you know, physical distancing and working in a kitchen. And for those of the listeners that have worked in kitchens, there's usually, you know, six to eight people within, you know, a bus shelter <laughs> putting out food. So so that's the first challenge. And it's forcing people to re-engineer how food is made. It's often different components of plates that are made by different people that are, are past, et cetera. And, and even some chefs have told me they're rethinking how, how their stations are, are made. Other, other large companies, I was speaking to one president of a, a large company who, who's looking at this plexiglass that can actually flip around when, when the uh, person is moving. So it's rotatable. I get the sense of it's, um, it's almost like a revolving door of plexiglass, but but instead of you know four parts, there's there's two, and and these plexiglass on swivels and things. So, you know, the engineering of the food 
and um, how it's made is is definitely something. The industry has done very well um, with its sanitation and food handling guidelines, in my professional opinion, for years. But there's extra efforts being made in this with with gloves, with masks, with hand washing even more than usual, um, with sanitizing more than usual. Uh, some operators, uh, I was speaking to a chap in Winnipeg who is is going to paper and plastic and he's just going to throw it out because he doesn't want to have to deal with the dishwasher and the germs coming back and having to, to wash and, and have someone handling those. So, you know, the, that back of house is is changing. In the front of house, you didn't really worry about getting from A to B. You just made your way by people and walked by tables, et cetera, now. And, and from what operators are telling me now is there's a lot of, oh, I can't go that way. If I go that way, I'm too close to, to this person. You know, so even the the physical layout and, and how people are moving within the restaurant is um, going to be uh, an issue. So you, so you made a couple of a couple of interesting points, and and I'm going to go back first to the uh, to the back of house where you talked about the challenge of kitchens have all historically been engineered small. They're tight, sort of. You can't put a table in a kitchen generally, and so we minimize that space. You talked about distancing and and dividers and things like that. Are we likely to see fewer people in kitchens too? From what I have uh, been hearing from operators, first of all, they're not going to be able to do their regular level of business. So instead of having those six or eight chefs, they'll have uh, three or four in the kitchen. And um, for now, anyways, um, with the uh, the social distancing and just the level of business being being reduced at least in half. So we are seeing that. You're you're also seeing some chefs telling me that they are re-engineering menus, uh, menu items, so that there's less labor involved, and that uh, again, there's not as much uh, prep work involved, and as much, I guess investment in in a product as far as as time and and labor goes so those are things that be being considered but this will be mike the most interesting thing perhaps is this is going to be an experiment uh this is going to be so fluid and changing as financial results come you know are reported after being opening the first week or the first month and et cetera, et cetera. This is going to be a uh, a moving target. There's going to be experimentation, innovation, change, all sorts of things. And and that's one of my fears as well is, is the environment is, is going to be very stressful. Yeah. And it's, and it's going to be hard and if, and we will make mistakes. And if we are penalized for those mistakes, we might not be able to recover from them. But you talked about sort of re-engineering menus to try and not only how people how those plates get put together, they're not getting passed down a line and different people assembling different parts of it. It probably also means less choice, which gets back to where we started a little bit to the experience, is that menus are not likely to be as big as they used to be because we have to focus on making sure we can manage within the context of these kitchens. Probably the most famous chef in the world is Rennie Redzepi from uh, Noma in Copenhagen, as as I know you're familiar with him. They opened, uh, reopened a month ago. And, you know, this is a, a three-star most famous restaurant in the world. And they opened, reopened with two burgers. They opened with a vegetarian burger, a plant-based burger, and a meat burger, local grass-fed 
Danish beef with, you know, they're big into the fermentation. So, you know, in the beef mixture, they're adding some of their fermented things as a, literally you can have Danish cheddar cheese on it or not, a pickle and some mayonnaise sauce based sauce, and that's it. And wine, you know, his point was, that's what I'm going to do right now. That's all I'm going to offer. I have no idea, you know, what we're going to be able to do and do from a financial point of view. We can't ramp up to full scale if we're only at 50% capacity. So, you know, that's that's one extreme. And and obviously, if you're the most famous restaurant in the world, you can you can dictate that and still have a line as he does. But you are going to see um, menus and already menus that I've seen out in uh, British Columbia that are paired back for sure. You raised the issue earlier of cost, and 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 there's clearly some hesitancy, and and there's been some blowback from consumers as saying, "How dare you raise costs?" But this is an industry that historically, generally operates on extremely low margins, and given that we're going to have fewer people in restaurants, given that we are going to probably slow down the process of dining times, and given that we all want to dine within specific windows, even if we're at 50% seating capacity, we're probably going to be at 25 or 30% service capacity. Something has to give here. People have to expect that it's going to cost more to eat out. It's interesting you say that. I was in a uh, Restaurant Canada um, conference yesterday. They they put on and they had a consultant, a restaurant consultant, Saying that it's a it's a seller's market, raise your prices, and uh, he, he sort of went um, through some a, a bit sketchy, you know, rationalization for that. But but you're you know you're right. This is this is an industry that has had a a faulty business model in in many respects that result in in low margins, um, as as the industry is famous for. You know, one of the most exciting things that are coming out of this for me is listening to other podcasts that uh, webinars etc and and reading some of the real progressive minds out there and and talking about a new business model and restaurants 2.0 and you know this sort of talk so you know i think there's been a bit of a wake up call for operators as they have had time to reflect and and really think through their business. And so we're going to see different things and um, you're going to see people experimenting and and some raising prices and, you know, justifying it through increased quality, et cetera. One of the problems we have, Mike, in North America is the prolification of the franchise model, which really affects independent restaurants as well. And and it does that through, you know, an extremely uh, minimal barrier to entry. Anyone can can own a restaurant now if as long as you you know join up with a franchised uh, chain restaurant and you know in those operations price is you know it's a value proposition in most cases with lower prices their economies of scale and their purchasing allows them to to buy products at a low price and they they typically will buy purchase on price versus quality and and as you know doing your food waste research there's a value component to portion size in North America. So, so all these these impact and effects of of our association with chain restaurants and what they do, you know, really has an, a, an impact on on independent operators and and what they're really able to do as far as pricing goes. They're, you know, they have to stay within a relatively uh, similar price range to uh, franchises, which which has resulted in you know lower than than recommended prices for these guys. 
One of the things I think we might see, and I'd be interested in your perspective on it, is, is that as we start seeing restaurants reopen and as we come out of this, that perhaps independent restaurants that are more sort of embedded in communities that are sort of neighborhood institutions might be more resilient to some of these chains than to some of these changes than than chains are because you'll have more of a desire to go back and and maybe more of a tolerance of change to go to back to a place where you know the server by their first name and you feel it's important uh, that this restaurant is an institution in your neighborhood and and you'll go and it might be easier for them to take price than the chain restaurant that is looks a lot like the other chain restaurants uh, business lunches are likely to be down uh, as more of us continue to work from home. You know, the hockey tournament restaurant, the, the basketball tournament restaurant, those things aren't happening anymore. And it, and it might actually provide an advantage for some of these independent restaurants. I think you're right. I think societally going through this pandemic and, and you know, reacquainting ourselves with our own personal values and our commitment to supporting local businesses, et cetera. And, and again, you know, knowing the owner and, 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 you know, the restaurant was out there supporting health workers during crisis and, and all those things I, I think are going to be a, be a, a little bit of a bump. Absolutely. But, you know, one thing that, that we haven't touched on is full service restaurants, whether they're chain or independent are in a lot worse position I believe, than people think. And Mike, some of this comes down to um, perception um, by the consumer saying, you know, oh, well, restaurants can do can do takeout and delivery. So, you know, they're going to hang in there and, and oh, patios are opening in Ontario this Friday. So, you know, and things, you know, half their business is, is going to come back and, um, you know, in phase two because, uh, you know, and, and they should be able to squeeze by. All those things maybe look good, and, you know, I've heard and spoken to operators who regret pivoting to takeout and delivery for many reasons. And and the only reason, you know, some of them have done it is to keep some of their key people busy, um, to keep their brand in front of people. They're losing money on on takeout and delivery and full service for the most part. Yes. And patios, patios are, are, are the same. You know, patios are notorious. If you look at today where I am in Milton today, it rained this morning. It's cloudy now. Um, I would have to go out and wipe down all my patio furniture. And there's a really good chance that if I see people at lunch, they get rained on again. And what happens in a restaurant when that happens, and, it, and it's happened to me hundreds of times in my restaurant career, is they pick up their plates, they pick up their drinks, and they run inside. And, you know, what's going to happen with that next week if if – you know, as an operator of restaurants for 20 years, that you know, there were there were many seasons and restaurants where we purposely did not have a patio or open a patio. People spend less money on a patio. People spend more time on a patio. It's more work for the server. You know, it's challenging. You know, patios. You know, it's interesting. Uh, I put out a tweet yesterday. I know you saw it, and I got lots of um, comments from operators saying, "Yeah, you know." Be careful what you wish for, because, you know, some people are going to do well with patios and the tourist areas and the bars, and it'll get them kickstarted in that. But right now, restaurants are going to get by on the wage subsidy, you know, and, and really 1972 labor prices for them until the end of August. Many operators 
have reconfigured their dining rooms and already and 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 they're not able to actually get to 50 percent capacity uh, most are telling me it's 30 to 40 percent capacity because even if they could do 50 they have to keep the two meters away so they've had to take out more tables than 50 percent um, because typically we put a lot of tables in a restaurant because that's our financial model so you know, my fear, um, or you know, another trepidation, is that a lot of this um, perception out there is is that restaurants, full service, are not in as as bad a state as they are. And with this reopening and this, you know, gradual buildup of business, it's a potential financial disaster. And and I've spoken to operators who aren't going to open because they'll figure they'll lose less money staying closed during, a, you know, uh, this sort of thing uh, than open. So, you know, it's it's um, really challenging times. And, and I, I I don't know if, if consumers and, and uh, uh, the government understand that. You anticipated my next question perfectly. And that's exactly <laughs> that's exactly what I was going to ask, Bruce. So if you had the ear of the premier or the uh, the ear of premiers anywhere in the country or governors in the U.S., what would you do differently? I think there has to be more communication. And what industry is asking for, and, and you know, as most industries or, or a lot of industries, is an industry-specific plan with the understanding that restaurants employ 1.2 million Canadians, you know, 300,000 Ontarians in full-service restaurants, you know, half of that, so 150,000 you know, Ontarians, as other businesses do, they have a very unique business model. And in uncertain times, because they are so labor focused, an interesting statistic, Mike, is for every million dollars a restaurant sells, they employ 16 people. For a retail store, for every million dollars, it's six people. And for a gas station, it's 1.5 people for every million dollars that they employ. Restaurants employ a lot of people and and there's a you know a lot of moving parts. I know you understand restaurants really well. And restaurants work well in predictable environments and in uncertain traffic patterns and and labor markets and it's incredibly challenging to make things profitable. So the big thing is I think a you know, the golden egg would be an industry-specific plan. You know, you've heard and, and and I've heard little programs set out to agriculture for, you know, a couple hundred million dollars, to the fisheries for a couple hundred million dollars. You know, even, even something, you know, that just recognized that the restaurant industry um, is an important backbone of our country. I think that would be it. There are a lot of operators that are angry now. I know you're familiar with Rosanna Kyra. You've been on her podcast uh, before. Uh, she did a leader panel with nine CEOs from across Canada, and and it was it was bitter, you know. And it was mostly poor communication, not understanding the uniqueness of the industry, not listening to us, not even throwing us a bone. You, you know, the the rent program has has not worked for restaurateurs. The wage subsidy only works when you bring people back now because it wasn't in place when all those restaurant workers were were let go and laid off. So, you know, there, there hasn't been a sort of home run um, support. So, so long-winded answer is, is two things. You know, the industry really wants an industry-specific program and they just want 
more presence in front of leadership and, and leadership listening to them. I think they, you know, just throw them a bone, something. And, and you know, again, I think this patio thing was from some of the politicians, you know, John Tory in particular, I think in Toronto, ramping up to get the patio program ready. You know, I think that was an attempt by him to say, okay, restaurants, you know, we're working for you and we're going to Ford and the Ontario government. One of the great things that they have been doing is really relaxing the the liquor restrictions that have always impeded operators. So, you know, the, the Alcohol and Gaming Commission, which is notorious for, you know, even getting 10 minutes of their time and six months for them to have a look at your patio, those restrictions are off. You can pretty much serve if within a nine iron or an eight iron of your of your restaurant now on public spaces uh, for the most part. So there's real frustration and real worry building. Yeah, and I can understand that. There aren't easy answers. This is, the, the pandemic is an issue that has disproportionately affected businesses like restaurants for exactly the reasons we've already talked about. I'd like to sort of pivot, uh, take a quick break and pivot, if you if you will, to saying, if and when, and, and I'm going to say when we get through this, what are some of the changes uh, we might see? But let's take a quick break, uh, and then when we come back, let's talk a little bit more about the future. As we wrap up this episode, I just wanted to take a minute to uh, say thanks to Max Graham for making us sound great. Uh, we get to have the interesting conversations, and Max does the hard work of, of cleaning it up. Quick thanks to Zach von Massow for the original music that we use uh, to transition. I also wanted to take a minute to remind you of uh, the foodfocusguelph.ca website. You go check out our blog, which gets updated at least once weekly with issues uh, related to food, just like the podcast, and gives you a place that you can get a hold of us as well. If you want to make suggestions for episodes of the podcast, you have questions, uh, we're open to any of it. And one more reminder that uh, if you enjoy the podcast, uh, submitting a review wherever you get your podcast helps others find us as well. So thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed it uh, and stay in touch.